Good afternoon. Nice to have you with us. And if you can't be with us all the time from noon to two, you can be with us anyway at thegreatvoice.com. Download the podcasts of the individual interviews or the whole show. They make it very easy. And, in fact, it'll happen for you automatically. Thegreatvoice.com for the podcasts. The team, the team, the team ready and raring to go. Dave Rieger, Brian Morton, Rich Lazinski, we're all ready. Good afternoon. First to say it to you, maybe. On your way to making each and every day count. Each day is a gift. Another a tough weekend. It was a tough weekend for MSU and for U of M. No, I know U of M didn't play, but it was still it was still a tough weekend with everything that's going on uh, up in Ann Arbor. For MSU, they did play football, but they had a tough time. Lions did not have a tough time yesterday, and I sure hope they don't have a tough time tonight. Because the Lions are featured on Monday Night Football against the Raiders. That starts at about 8, 8.15 this evening. The headline here in my Detroit News, um, Lions must restoke the buzz tonight. Back-to-back defeats would seriously sidetrack promising season. I, I'm afraid, uh, Rieger and you follow this stuff much more closely than I do, I'm afraid that uh, they're right. The headline writer for that story from Wojo, the the fact of the matter is if they have two losses back-to-back, it's going to take the wind out of her sails. You know, uh, it, it might. Uh, obviously, it'll be a setback. Then they should win tonight. I think they're favored by eight, eight and a half. But uh, with what happened with Kirk Cousins yesterday mm. uh, for the Vikings and the Achilles, um, I think uh, the Lions are going to be okay, even if they lose a game here or there uh, the rest of the season. That Kirk Cousins, that was just a sad story. He was as good, I think, as good as he's ever been the last few games. I mean, he was hot. He's been good. The the team's been playing well, especially without their leading receiver who's been uh, injured, Justin Jefferson. So uh, they've been playing well. And, uh, again, uh, you're only as good as your backup sometimes in the National Football League, and there are not many teams that have a good backup, unfortunately. Interesting note, that's for sure. Uh, how are you feeling about tonight? Um, I think the Lions are going to win tonight. I don't know if uh, it's going to be. I th- the, I think that the, the Raiders are going to keep it close. I think it's going to be closer than you think, but I think that the Lions will win. I hope and pray that the Lions win Monday Night Football, 8-15 kickoff. It'll be on ABC, ESPN, and uh, well, we'll be watching, it's hoping. Gonna be, it's going to be a good game, for praying. sure. Yeah. Raiders got their quarterback back, so, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, so we'll see what happens. Uh, and we're, we're missing some good players. We've, we've, we're going to be short some good players, yeah, unfortunately. Um, I haven't heard about Amon Ross St. Brown. I know I he's thought the, I uh, saw he was not going to be playing. I don't know. He's questionable, as last okay. I saw, uh, because of an illness. If we don't have him, that that is a big, uh, that's a big loss. But uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't seen that he's not playing yet. I just saw that he was questionable. So yeah, well, and that's how teams are weeded out. How do they do under adversity? Because all the teams are losing players. You just talked sure. about that. So. It's how we rise to the occasion, and so I hope next the man up, can. Paul. Next man up. That's next, a, that, that, that's next. the mantra of every football coach in, in America. Well, it's next man it, up. Next man up. You're right. Uh, sorry to see uh, the actor Matthew Perry 
best known for playing Chandler Bing on Friends, has died in a most unusual way, an apparent drowning accident at his home in his hot tub. Yeah. He was uh, 54. It sounds like he was stricken. I hope and pray it's not drugs or anything. He tried to kick them, said he's been clean since uh, 2021, clean and sober. He admitted in his book, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, a memoir, something we all knew, that he had addiction problems. And I hope he got past those, but I'm sure his body was beaten up by that kind of bad living. And I just, uh, at the very least, I fear that he had some, he was stricken one way or another in the hot tub, apparently by himself, and just went under. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's going to take them a little while to uh, kind of figure it out. But um, at, at the first reports that we saw was that there were, didn't seem to be any sort of uh, nefarious stuff going on. It was just a, a question of maybe, uh, maybe a heart attack or something happened, and uh, he drowned. I had no idea. I guess there'd be no way to know this unless they hung out together, and I just I wasn't watching all the celebrity news, I guess. But that the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, apparently was a childhood friend of Matthew Perry. Yeah. And he, he wrote in a statement, quote, Matthew yes. Perry's passing is shocking and saddening. I'll never forget the schoolyard games we used to play. And I know people around the world are never going to forget the joy he brought them. Thanks for all the laughs, Matthew. You were loved, and you will be missed. Yeah, he, well, they were friends. I, uh, I never, I'd yeah. never heard that. Yeah, he had talked about that uh, when he went and did the rounds for his book. Ah, I guess I never really saw those. But um, I'm sure the book has, well, it'll continue to sell, probably better than ever, people trying to get a little more insight into him. He was a very likable character that he played, but we all knew that he had uh, a challenging life to say the least uh more uh mass shootings i'm not talking about maine i'm talking about two people killed and 18 more injured in a mass shooting on a crowded street in tampa florida in ebor is that what it is yeah i've, I've been there i know that pl i know very well that uh it's like a three block uh it's in um pasco county down in tampa florida area and uh like a three-block uh, area where there's all kinds of bars and uh, interesting stuff going on. In fact, uh, my brother, we had his uh, bachelor party there. Uh, he said hundreds ago. of people were there, so you're right. It's yeah. a celebratory it, it, area. It is. It is. It's interesting. But the surrounding area around the area that is where it's it's a little, uh, it's, a little um, it's not the greatest area, let's just say. Oh, boy. So the area around Ybor where they have the, where we were where people, all the bars are and and it, it's not the greatest area. So Ebor. Yeah. That's the Ebor city. That's, it's called Ebor City mm -hmm. in Tampa. Yeah. yeah, it's in Pasco County. I I have been there, yeah. <laughs> okay. How come I'm not surprised you were someplace where there was a lot of partying? Good for you. <laughs> Listen, it was uh my brother uh at that time was living in Tampa St. Pete area, so we Wait went down there. Oh, your brother at that time. He wasn't your brother at that time. No, 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 He no. was living at that time. Correct. My brother was <laughs> okay. living. My brother, Eric, yes, who was my brother at the time. And still was, is. Yes, still is. He was living uh, down in Tampa St. Pete at that time. So, okay. Yeah. Well, sorry to hear it. There have been far too many of them. Mitch Album did a pretty good story on on realizing that we're not going to get guns away from people, but we do need to 
have mental health checks, and nobody with a mental health issue, like the guy in Maine, should be uh, allowed to uh, to have guns. Um, am I right? It was the guy in Maine, right? I don't, I don't, yeah. The forty-year-old guy, guy Card, was his name. Correct. Um, I thought this was pretty exciting. The other day, I stumbled upon the fact that, for the first time ever, a Beatle will be playing on the Rolling Stones' new album. Paul McCartney actually plays in one of the songs on the album. Did you ever think the Beatles and Rolling Stones would be together? Uh, I, I could definitely see it happening. Well, it happened on this new album. And now there's a lot of talk about this new Beatles song that's going to be released in the next couple of weeks where it'll be the last new song from the Beatles. They actually will have all of the Beatles on this never-before-released music, including John Lennon, including George Harrison, and, of course, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Yeah, they found an old cassette, I think, with uh, the, uh, the music on it. Sixty years after the onset of Beatlemania, did you live through... Were you a Beatles fan or not? I, no, I was not alive at that time. Oh, you were never... jeez. Oh, no, I wasn't born, I wasn't born until, uh, until the early 70s. Oh, okay. Well, then I can't hold it against you. Yes, I was a Beatles fan. My brother Mark was more, I think, more a Rolling Stones fan. I was more a Beatles fan. I liked them both. But if I were to choose, I would have gone uh, with the uh, Beatles. What else? A new flavor from Fago. You think we can get them to drop some off? They used to do that in radio. <laughs> they, used to, they used to come by with new products. You remember? Were you born then? Yes, yes, oh. I was around. For, okay. Yes, I was around for that. They have. Uh, <laughs> I love orange cream. You know the. I just love those creamsicles and things like that. And this is supposed to be. It's called uh, orange cream soda, Dreamin', Fago, a new Fago flavor. That sounds like it would be very good. I know we're not supposed to drink a lot of pop or soda, but that one sounds like it's worth uh, trying. I might have to do it just you know for the. Because this is what I do for a living, I need to check it out for my listeners. You think? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think you should that? definitely you're, you're go and get that? some. You're, you're buying that? I'm buying it, yep. Okay, lots to talk about today. We'll try to stay on the uh, accentuating the positive best we can, which is not easy with everything going on in our world right now, but we're going to do our best. We won't ignore the negative, but lots of it will let that be handled by the news people. As we're underway on this Monday, October 30th, 2023, in focus on WJR. Dave Rieger, I forgot to mention to you, I will uh, want from you sometime before 2 o'clock your take on everything Apple plans to launch today, 5 o'clock California time, 8 o'clock our time, for the scary fast Mac event tied in with the Halloween and tied in with some new chips and some other things. Yeah. So would you do that for me? Definitely. Up? All right, because you you're our Apple guy. A lot of stuff going on tonight. Lions, yes. Apple. I, oh, and I, I picture you with all the monitors all around you, kind of uh, in your uh, Rieger Central location, uh, keeping an eye on all these different things. So I appreciate that. I'm going to try to do a little of that myself, figure out what's going on. All right, Brianna Noble is here. She's joined us a number of times as the fine auto and business writer for the Detroit News. 
As far as I know, um, UAW now has uh, tentative agreements with everybody, I think. Brianna, that's true, isn't it? Hi. Hi, Paul. Nice to speak with you again. Thanks for having me. That is um, correct. Uh, last Wednesday, the United Auto Workers made an agreement with Ford Motor Company. On Saturday, they reached an agreement with Stellantis. And then today, according to sources familiar with the information, we can confirm that um, the union has reached an agreement with General Motors as well. And, the, and they'll all be very similar, although Ford employs, uh, from what I remember in all the talking, more uh, UAW workers than anybody else. It's going to make an incredible difference in the lives of the UAW workers right up until the companies cannot sustain what they're agreeing to right now. And then it's going to make a whole different kind of life for the UAW workers. Do you? I, I haven't seen any of the statistics or facts, but what punishment is in there for when the auto companies uh, say they have to move more production to other countries to be able to live with what they've signed here? Have you? Is there any kind of... I know that, that if they close a factory the workers can strike. It's a little short of the old jobs bank where you could close a factory because it wasn't making money, but you still had to pay the workers. So there have been deals made over the years that made no sense at all, and I'm just wondering if they've come up with anything in there that that would in fact prevent the automakers from doing what they feel they have to do, which is finding places where they can build cars cheaper like their competition. I haven't seen anything. Uh, that's a good question, Paul. Um, the Ford, de- uh, Ford agreement for which we got more specific details yesterday on, it does include the ability to strike over a, a plant closing and sale moratorium. It also includes an outsourcing um, moratorium through the national agreement, um, you know, and, and as part of the commitments that Ford made, um, it includes product for all uh, UAW-represented facilities in the United States. I'm not sure. I don't know what that means, but I understand what you're saying, Brianna Noble, that, that they've got some kind of an agreement there somehow or another. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that what we're talking about is pretty much, in terms of the nuts and bolts, Whatever we learned or you learned about Ford, Brianna Noble from uh, Detroit News, um, pretty much going to be the same for the Stellantis uh, contract uh, that they reached on Saturday and probably today the GM contract. Yes, we're expected that the details, and so far what, the information that we know about the Stellantis agreement seems to parallel very closely with the, the Ford um deal and we expect the same at, at gm as well That's mark stewart great guy over there uh, mark stewart at stellanis chief operating officer north america said in a statement that out of respect for the ratification process the company would indeed refrain from commenting on the details of the contract until they shared it with uaw members so yeah we'll see what the story is on all that and we'll see if uh, in this new vein as the companies as the enemy, as proclaimed by Sean Fain, if if anything changes in the relationship between the workers and uh, the companies from this day forward. We'll see. I mean, they all tend to bounce back from all these things in the past. Um, there's never been quite the name-calling and vitriol that existed with Sean Fain. And if people think that's really what made this work, then 
look out for the next negotiation because it will be far worse than this one. It's just kind of the way it works. So we'll see. Um, cost of living adjustments that were suspended in 2009, uh, those are going to be there. Uh, what else can you, off the top of your head, uh, can you tell us about? Yes, the agreements include billions of dollars in investments for the plant. Um, we're going to see a six. 26% compounded base wage increase through the life of the agreement, which will end on April 30th, 2028. And that's a little bit longer than what agreements traditionally have. Um, UAW President Sean Fain communicated that that was because um, they are seeking to bring this agreement to workers at foreign automakers and electric vehicle makers who manufacture in the United States to bring them under the tent as well. And so they're hoping to do that and, and have a longer um, term of uh, length of a, a agreement so that they can set up negotiations 2028 for having potentially more um, negotiations than just with the Detroit three. We're also seeing improved conditions for temporary workers. That was a big issue that you heard from um, strike being members on the picket lines, and then as well as contributions to all current forms of retirement plans. All right. So uh, let the uh, fun and games begin. Uh, they're uh, approving all these things. I assume they will. It's, my goodness, it's uh, it's uh, four times better than what they did, what I think I keep hearing from in 2019 or, or whatever. Uh, it's obviously... Uh, right now, money-wise and uh, benefit-wise, very, very good for the workers. And we'll see how the companies hold up uh, living with that. You know, they kept saying that they were at their their wits' end and at the end of what they could offer, but then they kept coming up with more, which is uh, unfortunate because they should tell the truth and say, this is it, this is all we can do if they really reach that level because now who's going to ever believe them when they say that? Uh, nobody, and and why would they? It'll be interesting to see how this all this all fares out until they start building many more cars uh, overseas. We'll see how it all works out. Brianna Noble, thanks so much for your help. Thank you. Have a good one. You too, Brianna Noble, auto and business writer of the Detroit News. At twelve twenty nine. Well, we're all very excited. You've heard us talk about this, uh, frankly. Uh, a number of times, and for good reason. He's part of the WJR family, uh, and and we love him. He's on the sports wrap uh, in the evenings with Sean, and uh, he spent 11 seasons with the Lions, and he did get a Super Bowl ring, but it wasn't with us. It was with Tampa Bay. I think of him as kind of the gentle giant, he being Lomas Brown. Lomas, congratulations again and again and again, my friend. Paul W., you know I appreciate you coming from you, man, a legend. That I, I really appreciate it, Paul. So thank you, my good man. Thank you. You've <laughs> earned it. You've earned it on the field, and you've earned it off the field. Uh, being inducted tonight on national television, I hope to God they carry most of this whole procedure, as you will be inducted into the pride of the Lions during the halftime of this game tonight, Monday Night Football kickoff at 8.15. I want to know, Lomas, I, it was a while ago, I know, when you were first told, but how did you find out you were going to be the, the 20th inductee, the most recent inductee into the Pride of the Lions? 
Yeah, so Paul W., so, you know, I'm, I'm doing the broadcast up in the booth, and Rod Wood comes in there. And, of course, you know, he comes on with us during the preseason. He always comes on, so he came in there. And Paul, he, he when he got off the uh, when we got off the air, he had this mellow tone uh, sound in his voice. He was like, you know, big fella, every time I come up here, I feel like I'm taking your job. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, am I about to get fired on the air? You know, I mean, how he was sounding, and he was like, well, I have a little surprise for you, so I want you to look up at the screen. And that's when I found out, Paul. I was like, I was just so over, overwhelmed. But at first, man, I thought he was coming up to bring me some bad news there. So, yeah. I'm looking, great, I, I'm looking on my computer. I'm seeing that moment on a video that was on my computer here when good old Rod Wood, who we, we just had breakfast with the other day, yeah, there he is, and you are so surprised. And, and now I know with that look, you were not just surprised. You were relieved you weren't losing your job. Absolutely. It was really because, Paul, I started going back and saying, wait, did I say something on the radio I shouldn't have said? I mean, I was just thinking of everything, but – it was great, and then to have my family up in the booth, too, and I didn't know about them. So it was an awesome, awesome night, and tonight is just going to really just top it off for me, Paul. Well, we're all so excited for you, and uh, to quote the Lions president, Rod Wood, Lomas was a fundamental piece of our team's success in the 90s and enjoyed a long and greatly successful NFL career. He continues to be a positive presence, not only in our organization, but in the greater community as well. He is a bridge to our fans, our Lions legends, and is as much a part of our history as our future. Doesn't get any better than that, wow. Lomas Brown. What, is wow. this, what, what does this mean to you? I mean, just to hear those words, just to know that the organization feels that way about you, just to know that your, what you did on that field, you know, people recognized it. And, you know, and, and I'm just so thankful, Paul. And, you know, it, it, it's coming a lot, a lot of years after I stopped playing. But I think it's more special now because you, you've had a chance to really sit back and, and, and reflect on your career I did. And now to kind of be getting my roses now, it, it feels so great, man. So I'm so thankful for this organization, Sheila Helen Ford, and just everybody that I've been associated with with this, this, uh, this organization. I'm so thankful. First-team All-Pro, Super Bowl champion, earned seven Pro Bowl selections. You were part of the Lions' 75th anniversary team, their all-time team. Um, other than the obvious, the Tampa Bay Super Bowl, because that's what every kid who enters to play football from the time they can remember, that's, that's the epitome of it. What are some of the other highs you remember, and notably with the Lions, Lomas? So, you know, Paul W., I'm going to talk uh, about the 91 season. Unfortunately, it was, it was bittersweet. Unfortunately, as you know, we lost Mike Utley. He got paralyzed during the season. And then we lost the great Eric Andersack during the offseason. He got killed. And, you know, but that was that 91 season was the best season the Lions have had outside the championships. We went 12 and 4. We were inspired by Mike Utley's thumbs-up gesture that he gave us. 
We got one game away from the Super Bowl, ran into a great Washington Redskins uh, team back in the day um, that kept us from getting there. But that 91 season, just the guys I played with, just what we were able to accomplish in that season. And, yeah, like I said, it was bittersweet because we had some tragic things happen. But it was the most fulfilling year that I had as a Detroit Lion. And like I say, one game away, Paul, from the Super Bowl. One game away. So that's the, the, my fondest memory of being a Detroit Lion. Found you also, that was one of the years in the seven Pro Bowl selections. 1991 was one of the years where you uh, enjoyed that. I'm not going to go into all of the things you've done outside and off the field. It's a great list. And, in fact, coming up in just a moment, that duty falls upon Marie Osborne, our WJR senior news analyst, going to talk about some of the things that uh, you'd be a little shy to talk about, <laughs> some of the the community work, the things you do around Detroit. Suffice to say, uh, we'll get into that with Marie in a moment. But, but Lomas, I know from being out there and all the charity work that you've done and all the ways you've always said yes to helping other people, it makes you the pride of the Lions well beyond what you did for 11 seasons on the football field for that team. And even after now, in, in the booth with the great Dan Miller, the two of you make a great team. But what you have done... Uh, to earn this position, the pride of the Lions, has been to the benefit of all of us within the sound of my voice. And I cannot thank you enough, Lomas. Wow, Paul, I'm serious. That that means a great deal to me for you to say that. It, it really does. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it for the accolades. I did it because it's needed. Our youth in, this, in the southeast Michigan, our youth, period, they need the resources. They need people to invest in them. And that's what we have to do, Paul. So I really, really appreciate everything you said, man, and it really means a lot to me. Well, and without you saying it or even maybe knowing it, you just did it naturally. Our youth need some some real role models. Now, I know Charles Barkley had his own thoughts about role models and athletes, but, yeah. you know, Charles is Charles, and God bless him. Parents should be role models, yes. But athletes are. It's just the way it is. And you were such a worthy role model for all kids. Um, I just wanted to salute you, tip the hat, thank you again, and uh, understand tonight during Monday Night Football, and you are inducted in front of the world into the pride of the Lions, we will all be there cheering at home. <laughs> That's awesome. I, you know I appreciate that, Paul. Like the, the old saying says, so much is given, much is expected, man. So I've always been that way, and, man, I, I really appreciate this. So I'm going to soak it in, Paul. I'm going to soak in all this tonight. The big fella's going to enjoy tonight. It's going to be a party tonight at Ford yeah. Field. <laughs> yes, it is. God bless you, Lomas, and congratulations again and again. And you're not done. It, <laughs> you're not done doing good things. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm part That's of the right. community. I am here. <laughs> well, we love listening to you uh, in the sports rap uh, with Sean uh, and and certainly calling the games with Dan Miller. And it's going to be especially sweet watching you tonight get the uh, Pride of the Lions Award, the induction. God bless. Enjoy tonight. Take it all in. It'll be a 
quick bang and and you're going to say, geez, is that it? It's over? But you're going (laughs) to suck it all in. You're going to suck it all in and you'll have video of it and audio and it'll be just great. Congratulations again, Lomas. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it, my good man. Lomas Brown. Pride of the Lions. Tonight, the induction as we continue on WJR. He truly is a gentle giant, Lomas Brown. What a wonderfully nice man. You can tell just listening to him. Um, he's just an all-around good guy. I didn't want to embarrass him by going into all the ways that he is lauded now off the playing field, all of the great things he's done. He did while he was playing, but after playing, uh, he's done so much. He's truly understood what it means to be a celebrity athlete, and uh, and he really is somebody that our kids can look up to and be a great role model. As much as there are athletes that say they don't want to do that or shouldn't, I understand, but they are. There's nothing you can do about that. Marie Osborne, WJR Senior News Analyst, has tracked down a lot of his accomplishments and ways that he's been involved and maybe a little more history of Lomas Brown, Marie. Hi, Paul. Yes, and I have information on a fateful moment in his life that really changed his life. It's hard to believe, but when Lomas got to high school, he had his sights on making his mark, not in sports, but in music. And as he remembers it, it was freshman sign-up day. I was coming out the auditorium after signing up, and somebody was like, hey. And I turned around, and I didn't know it, but it was the principal and he called me to him, to him, and he said, did you sign up for varsity sports? And I was like, no. So he just grabbed me by the arm and took me back in the auditorium, and he signed me up for varsity sports. So <laughs> I had to wait to the end of the day to find out what varsity sports was and come to find out it was football that he signed me up for. He wanted to play in the band. So shall we say the rest is history? Lomas grew up in Miami, one of four kids. His dad worked in construction, his mom for a medical supplier. He went on to receive an athletic scholarship at the University of Florida. He came to the Lions in 1985, stayed here for 11 seasons. And even though he eventually played for a few other teams, his heart always remained right here. I love it here. It's just so much here. Just the people are wonderful here. They embrace you. Um, I feel like I'm a Michigander, and, you know, it's just been perfect for me, my family, my grandkids. And we love him, too, along with the Lomas Brown Foundation that gives out scholarships to students headed to college. He's deeply involved with Big Brothers and Big Sisters, Boys and Girls Club. He's also has scholarships at two Pontiac high schools and still finds the time, believe it or not, to be the assistant football coach at Bloomfield High School. And those are just a few of the nonprofits that he is associated with and has hands-on with. And Brown, of course, joining 19 other uh, all-time great lions to join the pride of the lions and paul by the way the instrument that uh lomas really wanted to play in band Hmm. it was trombone wow can you imagine but for fate but for fate and but for that principal grabbing him and saying hey did you sign up for first a team yet no Come with me. And he signed him up for football, and the rest, as they say, is history. Could have been one of the greatest trombonists ever, but we yeah. probably wouldn't know him the way we know him today. <laughs> and uh, after playing football for 18 seasons, 11 of them 
with the Lions um, and getting the Super Bowl ring in Tampa Bay, I'm just glad that he decided to come back and spend his life here doing all the good things he's done, as he put it, as a Michigander. Yeah, he said that when he first got here, you know, because he was uh, uh, recruited right away uh, out of college, and he just said, I, I just fell in love with the place. And he knew that this was where he was going to raise his family. He has he and his wife together have five children. Uh, they have four grandchildren. They all stay here. They all live here, and they all love Michigan. Oh, we love him. We love him. He and and tied into this next story, Lomas Brown is unquestionably a billionaire in blessings, in the blessings that he has received and the blessings he has doled out. But I do have another story about another great athlete. And speaking of billionaires, Magic Johnson has now been officially declared a billionaire by Forbes. You might be surprised to know he is only the fourth athlete to become a billionaire. We could name the other ones together. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Tiger Woods. But now Magic Johnson is a billionaire. They say worth about $1.2 billion. And you know how much he made playing basketball? <laughs> I can't even guess. $40 million. Yeah. And you know how far... $1.2 billion is away from $40 million? Yeah. It's yeah. an incredible spread where he made so much more money off the court than he did on the court because he's a brilliant businessman and also an all-around good guy. Yeah. From $40 million playing in his NBA career, total, to $1.2 billion today. And a lot of that's had to do with some uh, uh, some uh, teams. He just sold a team. Rieger, are you listening? Rieger, what team did he just sell his interest in for a lot of money? I don't know if Rieger's nearby to hear that. But are you just... talking about Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan? Uh, Magic Johnson. Magic... Oh, I thought it was – oh, was it Jordan that Michael just Jordan sold? Michael Jordan just sold oh, his okay. – yep, that was a Charlotte um... – I got confused. That was a Charlotte basketball team, yeah. So did Michael Jordan just officially? No, he's been a billionaire for a while. Oh, yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? From the shoes. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I got it confused. But Magic Johnson now is officially, I don't know why they're coming out with it now, but $1.2 billion, uh, and he joins Michael Jordan, number one, LeBron James, number two, and Tiger Woods, number three. Add to that our own, Irvin Magic Johnson. Got to be proud. Thank you, Marie, and thank you, Rieger. As we continue on WJR. Well, good afternoon. The sun was not out when we started, but it is out now, and it can come out anytime it wants to as we get ready for an abrupt change, they say, in the weather. It's going to get, uh, I don't know, is this, would they call this seasonably cold, or is, is uh, have we been unseasonably warm? Rieger? Brian? I, We're supposed to be... Um unseasonably warm this winter the whole winter yes right they're, they're, i think i saw that and less yes. precipitation correct which is fine with me because there is nothing worse than snow and ice so but i thought of our friends at the wine guards because i thought boy that's not going to be very helpful for sales of snowblowers and for people who like to to snowmobile 
Although, if you go up north, you're always going to have snow. And exactly. I hope go up north, snow. have fun, enjoy. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need any of it down here. So you're not one of those white Christmas Jewish fellows anyway, I guess. <laughs> we were just, Brian and I were just talking about that, about Irving Berlin's White Christmas. He was Jewish, and he wrote one of the greatest Correct. Christian songs exactly. we, ever. We were just talking about that. Yeah. Well, today, a little later... We're going to talk about, you know, we were talking, I don't know if this was Marie earlier, if I was listening to the boys, the WJR All Talk, Tom Jordan, Kevin Deets, which I try to listen to every day, um, talking about religion and needing some religion, or I can't remember what the conversation was, but today, a little later, the last segment of the show, uh, we're going to talk about transforming global evangelism. Sounds heavy, sounds deep, it is. But a guy uh, that I met recently named Greg Kelly wrote a book called Last Four Words. Is this the uh, the guy I brought to you through? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yes. So uh, uh, our friends that told us about this and this work that he was working on, the the redefinition of missionary paradigms. I, like I say, this sounds heavy and, and all, but when you hear about how important it is, I mean, a lot of us believe that once God was uh, uh, disinvited from the classroom and many other places, when he was basically asked to leave, a lot of troubles began. And I'm not an overly religious guy, but I'm just saying some of this you can follow and say, boy, whatever happened. But I was stunned to hear him say that like a penny out of every dollar going for missionary work in the far corners of the world, about a penny of every dollar actually gets to do the work. So obviously something's broken and needs to be fixed on the global mission strategies. We have our own problems here at home, I know, but there's all of that. And uh, I just thought it was interesting that he that anybody did a study in it. Meanwhile, what in the world's going on with eye drops causing all this trouble? What in what? How could this be happening? Is it one bad factory making everybody's eye drops? Do you have any idea? I'm not sure. I'm looking into this right now. They just came out again with eye drops that we get like at CVS and and the places that we all go that they're telling people to throw the eye drops away. And, and they're not being very specific about the brand. It's like a lot of brands or something. I, I don't know. And I just bought eye drops and started using them, and I'm, I'm going to throw them away. Yeah, it says that uh, over 26 different eye drop products sold at CVS, Target, and Rite Aid, uh, potential risk of eye infections. Huh? Interesting. And, and could lead to blindness. Hmm. That's just crazy. One I thing uh, that I did look up at the break, by the way, uh, you were speaking about Magic Johnson at the end of the last hour. Yeah. So Michael Jordan, he sold. He was a he was a majority owner of the Charlotte Hornets. He sold that for three billion dollars recently. He yeah. sold his majority stake. Magic Johnson, though, owns. He's part owner of the the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Los Angeles Sparks, the Los Angeles FC team, and Jeez. he also is. Uh, partial a minority owner with the Washington Commanders of the NFL. He, I know he has investments in Starbucks, Burger King, 24-hour fitness. Movie theaters. A life insurance company called Equitrust. So, yeah, he uh, he's into a lot of different things. He really is. God bless him. God bless him. All right. Um, 
couple of quick notes here. Uh, casino workers tomorrow are going to board buses and go to the state capitol. So it'll be an extra special Halloween there in Lansing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the story where they're telling uh, Lions fans not to cross the picket lines to go park at the casino to go to the, the game tonight? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, come come on. No, I didn't see that. The world has gone upside down. This is the year of the strike. I think I gave the numbers earlier about uh, a few years ago, how few people were striking to now this year, how it it looks like everybody's striking. We are not striking, by the way. Well, I'm not striking. You guys can do whatever you want. but um, And I belong to three unions, and I have for 40 years. I don't know, a long time. Anyway, so uh, there'll be busloads of casino workers, apparently, that'll be up in Lansing. This latest that we're seeing and hearing, anti-Semitism on college campuses, shoot up the kosher dining hall. Are you hearing this stuff? Yeah, it's crazy. It is, it is, it's beyond crazy. Society's lost its mind. How can anyone defend what Hamas did? I am a strong Palestinian supporter. I am a strong Israel supporter. No, Israel has made lots of mistakes. Well, yes, Israel's made lots of mistakes in the way they treat the Palestinians. But nothing that anyone does ever makes what Hamas did right. And no one can defend Hamas's cowardly slaughter of innocents. And they knew, Hamas knew precisely what would happen. Israel would react. And, of course, they're going to be mad at us, the U.S., Israel, because... I have every reason to believe that the U.S. has caused Israel to wait until now to be responding. And the longer they waited, the more scorn they would get. And it seems to me that had Israel responded the day they were attacked, we wouldn't be seeing all of this kind of reaction. We would after a while because they'd say, okay, enough is enough, Israel. You've taken more than your pound of flesh here. And it wasn't even the Palestinians that caused this. It was Hamas. But Hamas hides behind the Palestinians and causes this kind of slaughter. But but anybody who's paying attention has got to blame Hamas for this specific problem. There are plenty of issues to deal with Israel and how they treat the Palestinians and how that is wrong and needs to be corrected. It isn't corrected by what Hamas did. It is exacerbated and makes it worse. And it's almost as if they didn't want to see Israel and some of the other countries, like Saudi Arabia, starting to somehow seemingly get along. Maybe that was all a part of the scam. I don't know. But what's happening in the world today on college campuses is unforgivable, unthinkable, and unbelievable. And I will say I'm glad that these rich people who have been donating to these colleges are infuriated and want lists of names of people who are pro-Hamas so that all these rich people and all the companies they own will never hire any of those kids. It's about time they get, you know, held responsible for their activities. And that's what's going to happen here. Where this ends, I don't know. It's just Horrible, though. But we have plenty of problems here. 
that have very little to do with what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in the Philippines, what's happening anywhere else, we are somehow getting involved with from a a war kind of standard. And we better get back home here and take care of our own business and prepare ourselves to carry on. Lots to talk about. We're going to do that. Rocky Retchkowski coming up. He knows a thing or two about wars, and he's going to give us his thoughts on what's happening there in Gaza. Stay with us. I hate seeing all the reports on what's going on there in Gaza. Israel announcing this will not be a short war. It's been a brutal, brutal war. But what did Hamas expect doing what they did? This is exactly what they hoped for. And they know that the world would turn on Israel, and the world has turned on Israel. Many people who weren't friends of Israel anyway have used this opportunity to turn on them. They happen to be our friends. Um, At least they were beginning here. I'm not sure how they're going to feel after they delayed this, uh, this part of the war, trying to appease the United States and That just, uh, frankly, opened the door for them to get more criticism. But enough about all of that. Let's check in with a guy who served both as an enlisted and commissioned officer in the U.S. Army Infantry. During his service, he spent two one-year combat tours in the global war on terror, was awarded the Bronze Star Medal for his actions during combat operations. He is Rocky Ratchkowski, our good friend and a guy who's going to just give us his thoughts before I ask him any questions at all. Rocky, welcome back. Nice always to have you on the uh, on the show. And here we are as uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, who will not survive this, by the way, in my own opinion, says the Gaza war has entered a new stage and will be long and difficult. Give me your take wherever you want to begin, Rocky. I'm, I'm all ears. Hey, good afternoon, Paul W. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a short war. And right now we're seeing an expanded ground effort by the Israeli, the IDF forces, and their special operations forces. What they're doing is they're doing something called airland battle doctrine, which the U.S. perfected, and they're doing it slowly, methodically. They're pressing and clearing small areas of land as they compress Hamas and uh, the people that obviously did not leave the northern Gaza city into a corner, into the central part of the city. And that's where uh, a special unit of the IDF called the Yachelom unit, they're a special EOD ordinance unit, and they're hostage rescue groups that, believe it or not, the British SAS created, but the Israelis and the U.S. uh, Delta Force and then uh, SEAL Team 6, which was the dev group, perfected. Uh, together, the Israelis really perfected that, and we are now seeing that the Israelis actually recovered one of the hostages uh, that that Hamas held. It was a uh, Israeli soldier, a female soldier, named Private uh, Meg Hadash. It just broke the news that that this group rescued her from uh, uh, captivity in one of the uh, tunnels near the the border. So and we it's, all, it's going to be a long war. Yeah, and we also just heard uh, of a, a young girl, young woman, who was uh, abducted from the concert that she was at, and they just beheaded her. So, right. I mean, anybody 
who can in any way, shape, or form look like they're supporting Hamas, I'm not talking about supporting the Palestinian people. I fully support the Palestinian people. I support the Israelis. I don't support terrorism. And that's flat-out terrorism at the cost of people who are living there who have nothing to do with Hamas. I'm talking about Palestinians who couldn't leave, who wanted to leave, who weren't allowed to leave by Hamas. That's the key. Yeah, because that's, if, Paul W., that's the key. They weren't allowed to leave. There's quite a few, and now we're seeing the reports, and Israel has drones over the area. We have intelligence reports that there are checkpoints of Hamas, checkpoints of people not allowing uh, a large group of people to leave the center city. They are still using human shields, and now... One of the things that the U.S. did was kind of force Israel to reopen the Internet and communication services back in in the, the Gaza Strip so that journalists and people could communicate. And believe it or not, they are actually monitoring each one of those cell calls or each one of those uh, Internet hits so that they could see exactly what's happening on the ground besides just the drones. It's an intelligence collection device. You know, if I can just say this, because I know that the time is tight. It's interesting how the Gaza Strip is is lacking medicine, is lacking food, is lacking power. The only thing that they're not lacking is ammunition and missiles. <laughs> Listen, as the as as it said in the New York Times over the weekend, as Gazans scrounge for necessities, Hamas sits on a rich trove of supplies. Hamas has spent years building a stockpile to sustain a drawn-out fight. The fuel that we've heard that these hospitals uh, in Gaza right. need, they've got plenty of fuel. Hamas won't give it to them. The food yeah, and, we, and the, the yeah. very supplies you're talking about, Hamas has. Hamas will not give it to the Palestinians. What's it going to take for the Palestinians to understand that Hamas is not their friends? You know what it's going to take? It's going to take us getting serious with Iran, cutting off Tehran, Tehran the capital of Iran and their leaders, and basically cutting off their financial ability to fund terrorism in, in the Gaza with Hamas, in Syria, and the Syrian forces in Lebanon, as well as Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. Rocky, does this, president, the of the snake. does this president have the intestinal fortitude to do that? A great question. I, I hate to say this, but I don't think so, because now I, I see an I clean up on aisle six. We, we're just learning now that uh, Jake Sullivan put in Human Events magazine a statement about how they've been working in the Middle East and keeping peace and how great the peace is. They had to scrub that, except that they didn't scrub the digital versions of the Human Events magazine. Um, and in the 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 ultimate hubris of this administration. They need to get their act together, and they need to be solid. These enemies only understand one thing, and that is strength. Always a pleasure, Rocky. God bless you. God bless you too, Paul W. and our nation. Rocky Richkowski here in focus with Paul W. Smith at WJR. Well, they're back at work at the House, uh, which means they have to look at shutting down or not shutting down the government again. Woo! Uh, Ryan Schmeltz, Fox News correspondent, WJ, a contributor here with the very latest. uh, I guess the House Republicans are eyeing a stopgap funding measure to head off the shutdown risk uh, again. Hi, Ryan. Hey, what's going on, Paul? How are you? I'm good. 
I hope you're well. Talk to us. Yeah, so uh, stopgap spend, spending measures is kind of something we're starting to see a lot of momentum from the Republican side on. Uh, January looks like to be that healthy date that a lot of them are settled on that they think they can get enough votes on if, in fact, this is the, the route they choose to go. Obviously, they can't lose more than four votes on just about any piece of legislation right now. So this is something Republicans need to be united on. But pushing it to January, they think that they can get these appropriations bills done and they can then get them sent to the Senate for negotiations and go from there. Well, so Mike Johnson was floating that possibility of extending the funding, as you say, January. He actually said through mid-January or mid-April to yes. give lawmakers more time to negotiate 12 separate bills funding the government through the fiscal year that ends September 30th, 2024. Um, yeah. Is there any have, is his honeymoon period still on or did it end or was there ever one? Well, it's, it's going to be hard to know because we really haven't seen a full week of him as Speaker of the House yet. And it's a relatively short week for Republicans this week. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, to be clear, it looks like Republicans are not going to be flirting with this April date that Johnson had been open to just because you don't really find too many who want to see a CR extended that late because it's almost you know, halfway through the fiscal year if they go that route. So they would like to see January and then go from there. Uh, I think one other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, with these appropriations bills, they have a pretty ambitious schedule. They want three to get done this week, two to get done the next week, and then two to get done the week after that. Uh, but then obviously they have to send this all to the Senate to be negotiated because the Senate's appropriations bills are likely to look very, very different. So they, they have a short week, what, because they have to all go trick-or-treating, or is there something I'm missing? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's been a marathon the last couple of weeks. They wanted uh, people to have time to cool down and all that, and it looks like they'll at least get that, you know, Jeez. when they get back this week, and then just go from there. Wow. That's amazing. All right, uh, what else do we need to know here? We have uh, Joe Biden pushing for $106 billion in new spending to aid Israel and Ukraine. Uh, beef up enforcement at the U.S.-Mexican border. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't like the idea of putting Ukraine and Israel together. I mean, that they're two separate issues, don't you think? Well, it sounds like House Republicans feel the same way because Speaker Johnson has said that he plans on bringing an Israel aid package to the floor this week for about fourteen billion dollars, and that would be separate from Ukraine aid. That would be separate from border security be separate from Gaza aid too i believe so they want to they think that the best way to do this is to get one of those pieces of legislation on the floor uh they believe they can get a bipartisan support for it then send it to the senate and it's going to put the senate in a position where the senate's going to decide well should they vote for the israeli aid uh should they pa try to pass the president's supplemental bill completely as it is uh or, and if they do that then there might be a period of negotiation and every time they wait on on sending on voting on this in the Senate will pretty much be a situation where they're going to be stuck, you know, just uh, with more and more time passing where aid is not being sent to Israel. Have they have they at least taken the government shutdown off the table or not yet? Well, it depends on what the CR looks like and how many Republicans get on board. You know, the thought is that they're probably going to send a send a, a conservative CR to the Senate if they can pass it in the House. Uh, but I think it really just depends on what that legislation looks like as of right now. I just I, I can't believe this has become such a regular thing. It's just astonishing yeah. to me. 
Well, and I think one thing to keep in mind is that Republicans thought after the CR initially passed that they would have enough time uh, to pass their appropriations bills and get everything done by November 17th. But then the motion to vacate happened. And we heard a lot of Republicans who were very angry about that, pretty much saying that this is going to cause us to have to pass another stopgap measure or this is going to cause us to pass another minibus. And that's why we can't get our appropriations bills done in time. It's because we lost three weeks selecting a Speaker of the House. Well, uh, who are they blaming for that? Uh, I mean, they're, they're blaming the eight members of their own party who voted to oust Speaker McCarthy and then all the Democrats. So it's that, that, that's, that's kind of where the, the plan of attack is from those who are uh, ticked about McCarthy getting booted. All right, Ryan. I'm so glad you're covering this on a daily basis. Anything, <laughs> else, <laughs> anything else we need to know? Oh, good question. I think we covered it for the most part, but... Uh, Keep in mind, uh, we'll have three appropriations bills this week, and then we'll go two and two the week after that. It's just amazing. It, it's true. It's embarrassing, actually. All right. Thank you much, my friend. We appreciate your work always. You always do a very nice job, Ryan. Thank you. Hey, have it going, Paul. Thank you so much. Are you, are you going trick-or-treating? Uh, we'll see about that. We'll see. Okay. All right. I'm just picturing members of the House showing up at people's doors and scaring the hell out of them. Uh, Ryan, okay. Sch- <laughs> Ryan Schmeltz, Fox News correspondent and WJR contributor, on this Monday afternoon as we continue in focus on WJR. All righty. I had a meeting, uh, oh, some time ago with Hope Durant Loomis. Um, you've heard me talk about her and with her before and her famous father, Clark Durant. And they introduced me to a guy named Greg Kelly, CEO of Unknown Nations, formerly called World Nation. And it was interesting because he was doing a study on global evangelism. He's written a book on transforming global evangelism. It's called Last Four Words by Greg Kelly. And it challenges and redefines missionary paradigms. And I'm thinking at a time like this, We need to open our arms to these thoughts, and not just missionary work um, around the world, but, heck, right here in this country when we see what's going on all around us. But I learned from Greg Kelly at the time that present-day missionary efforts mean maybe a meager penny from every dollar directed toward foreign missions reaching the most secluded and deprived areas of the world. A penny of every dollar. And I thought, Greg, I'm going to give you the opportunity to explain to us what's going on and why and how we might fix this based on your own work. Greg, welcome to WJR. Thanks, Paul. Great to be with you, buddy. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on here. Yeah, well, hey, the title really is uh, says a lot. The last four words, of course, the teaser there is it's Jesus' last four words. Most people, if you were to challenge them on what they are, they probably wouldn't be able to find it in the Bible, but it's actually found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And the reason we know it's Jesus' last four words is the next verse in verse 9. It says, and in their presence, a cloud emerged, and Jesus ascended into it. So it's safe to say whatever he said before that's the last thing he said, which was... When you receive the Holy Spirit and power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. And so the whole book, Paul, is about what is the ends of the earth, what it's not, and why. what are the implications for us today? Because as you point out, 
the world is a train wreck in a lot of places. You can't turn on the news and not hear about some tragedies going around. My goodness, we need some good news. And I think nothing better than the good news and proclaiming it around the world, particularly the places that have never heard, which is the ends of the earth. How did we get to this point? Well, I think, you know, from a standpoint of we believe that the answer is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what changes hearts. The, it's really not in the negotiation table, more foreign aid. It really comes down to the heart of man. And we're seeing a lot of evil that's going on around the world. And so by not dealing with the heart, we end up with a lot of the carnage in countries like Afghanistan, Morocco, Yemen, uh, Bangladesh were the greatest refugee crisis among the Rohingyas going on, Pakistan. These are all places that are less than 1% Christian. And so we're really ignoring that. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we believe the good news is the solution. That doesn't mean we're demanding or forcing you to do anything. We just believe that the message, the salvation message of Christ is good news, and it, and it does truly bring transformation to, to any heart. Uh, and But these are the countries and a lot of places like them where there's a lot of carnage going on, and we've quite honestly been ignoring them for the better part of the last 100 years or so as we're paying attention to places, sub-Sahara Africa is a good example, Latin America, and I've got some of my closest friends live in both of those places, but they are more Christian than where I live in West Michigan. And so a lot of our mission efforts and good deeds and things that Christian missions are doing are actually going into places that are 80, 90, and 95% Christian. There's really not a need. Is there poverty? Is there, is there physical need? Absolutely. But from a standpoint of has the heart been changed, that has already been changed, and we're ignoring the other places. How is it that we have the Holy Land of all places, where thousands of innocents in just days have been killed? Um, and... and you you scratch your head and say, this is what we call the Holy Land? How do you reconcile that? Yeah, it's really been devastating what's been going on these last few weeks, and it certainly is. I mean, when you go to, I've been to Jerusalem, I've been to Israel, uh, and it's the center of the bullseye from a standpoint of historical, um, biblical times, of course, where Jesus did his ministry at. But it's what's also fascinating about it, Paul, is we need to keep our eyes on this area for prophetic aspects that are going on, because there's a lot of the end times things uh, that are that are starting to unfold before our very eyes um, that we need to pay attention to. So I think that um, it's not a surprise. I mean, we've been told that in the the, the end times there'd be wars and rumors of wars, uh, there'd be tragedies, there'd be earthquakes, and these are all what the Bible talks about are birth pains. Birth pains to what? birth pains to the recoming return of Jesus. And you might say, well, that's a Christian thing. Actually, um, the, the Jews believe Jesus was crucified. Muslims believe Jesus is returning. So the fact that Jesus is returning is a reality for billions of people in their, in their religion, whatever faith that happens to be. So we need to have our eyes on that area. But as followers of Jesus, the thing we need to be concerned about is sharing the good news in places where it's never been. It's called access to the gospel. And today, a third of the world does not have access to the gospel. Greg Kelly, writing a book that will change the way you look at global missions and their importance. It's called Last Four Words. Greg Kelly, the author and our guest. Good luck to you, Greg. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate your work.
If you can't be here noon to 2, you can join us on thegreatvoice.com. Get the podcasts, thegreatvoice.com. Now stand by for news. And JR Afternoon with the one and only Chris Renwick. You go on out and make it a great rest of the day on your way to making each and every day count because, well, each day is a gift. Regards, Paul W. Smith.